let's read what John has to tell us, what God has to tell us through John this morning. Chapter 4 of 1 John and verse 7 on. It reads like this. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son and I think that is the best translation. Not the begotten son but the one and only son or the unique son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so, you can add a few more O's to it, so loved us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So that, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in the world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he or she is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister, whom he or she has seen, cannot love God, whom he or she has not seen. An argument from the inferior to the greater. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his or her brother. Or sister. Now Tyndale puts it very nicely and he says John is singing his old song and you can see that all through uh, chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 we looked at it chapter 3 verses 11 to 18 chapter 4 9 to 19 we just saw some of it so if you read chapter 5 you will find that John is singing the same old song. You know, when I read one John, I sometimes wonder why there is a controversy as to who wrote this book, because it's so evident that the guy who wrote John's gospel is the one who wrote one John, because it's so similar. And he is singing his old song, which is sang in the gospel. He is singing here. He is saying, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. What it means, first thing, is that love is granted to another person. Love is something which I give. Love is which, something which makes me other-centered from being self-centered. The cure for my self-centeredness is to 
experience God's love and ask his grace to give it to others so I become other-centered. So the other becomes more important for me. So the other is my concern. Not the vacations that we take. Not, you know, we are so, so caught up with the many things. We are caught up with our own selves. That is my biggest problem. I suffer from depression from time to time. I just go down and I do not know how to come back. And that's the honest truth. And it takes very little to put me down. And it's becoming more and more these days. It doesn't require much for me to just go down and just caught up with myself. I, you know, I'd have no explanation why it happened. Even when I want to get out of it, I find it difficult. But then God's grace pushes me in front and says, you know, I'm experiencing his strength in a special way to even stand here and preach this morning. I do not know if that is love. And if it is, I thank God for that. Love is granted to another person. Love is a freedom word. When you start loving someone, you free yourself. You are free of yourself and you free the other when you love the other. Love one another. What he says is keep on loving one another. Why? Because this love for love is from God. Now, I want you to be very careful here. When John talks about God is love, I don't want you to change the order of the word and say love is God. That's not what he's saying. Okay? So, God is love is very different from what, when we say love is God. Okay? So, but I don't want to go there. But this love, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. For this love is from God. So basically, verses 9 and 10 of this chapter 4 is going to explain the nature of the love that comes from God. But he is going to make some important conclusion even before he goes there. And what does he say? He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What we have here is a personal, relational knowing, the knowing that we have among members of a family. This love that is spoken of is a relational love. It is a love which knows one another so intimately, so personally, that we sense and feel the pain of each other. The joy, we, you know, it's so easy to share the joy and the successes of each other equally. That's the kind of love we are talking about, which is relational. You know, the knowing, it's personal, it's a relational knowing, the knowing among members of the same family. Now, this should not be construed to mean that anyone who loves is a Christian, because 1 John chapter 3 and verse 23, what does it say? And this is his command, God's command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So, a true child of God, there are two things he or she does. What is it? He believes, or she believes, and he or she loves. And that is what is the mark of a true Christian. One who believes in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and one who loves. Why? 
Because this love is from God. Love has its origin in God and belongs to the divine sphere. And now that you've been born of God, you cannot but reflect your divine birth. Verse 8, it says, now these are the conclusions that he is coming to before he is going to describe the nature of God's love. Because love is being defined by God for us in verses 9 and 10. But before that, he is coming to some conclusions. And the next conclusion is, is the one who does not love, does not know, does not know God because God is love. Therefore, those who claim to know God should be lovers themselves. The point here is that the absence of love for one another is evidence that a person does not know God because God is love. And there can be no real knowledge of God which is not expressed in love for fellow believers. I want to repeat this. There is no real knowledge of God which is not expressed in love for fellow, fellow believers. In other words, a person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. See my struggle now? I do not know about you. If you claim that you are coming to a relationship with a loving God, and if you are not being transformed each day into being a loving person, I do not know how I can say I've been born, born of God. And John brings this argument very forcefully, and I'm going to show it to you. You know, I don't want you to be comfortable in your pews. I don't want you to be comfortable in your Christian life. I want you to really, really examine your life and see where you are going with your life. Let's not play around. The time has come when we will be called to account. If you have lived a lie, that lie will be exposed. And if you have lived the truth, thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, because of whom and in whom we have hope. A person cannot come into a real relationship with a loving God without being transformed into a loving person. God is love. Now I want you to listen to this. Love is not just one of his activities. But all his activity is loving activity. Love is not just one of his activities, but all his activity is loving activity. Everything he does, he doesn't love. Even when he disciplines his children, he does it in love, not in spite. Coming to verse 9 and 10. The beloved disciple, John, explains the nature of the love that comes from God. We all know this, but he brings it very forcefully. What does it say? By this, the love of God was shown or demonstrated or manifested. How did he show it? By sending his son. Now, is, is it just, you know, did he just send his son merely to show his love? No, 
he did something more. What do we see there? The demonstration of God's love was not mere sending of one and only, his one and only son or his unique son to the world. It was sending of his son into the world that we might live through him. John chapter 17 and verse 3, what do we read there? We read that eternal life is knowing the Father and His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He, you know, this is one, He goes one step and says, you want to know what love is? I'm going to define it for you. What is it? God manifests His love to us that He sent His Son that, not just the mere sending, so that we may have life in Him. And he goes on to define it further. And what does it say? More of what it means by saying, love comes from God. The writer does this by explaining what God did for us. What does he say in verse 10? He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and send his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It is not just that he sends so that we may have life, but he sends so that his son could die for our sin. Because of our sin, we incurred guilt, and someone is going to take on that guilt so that we may be free, so that we may have life. That is how love is defined by John. God sent Jesus Christ to be the atoning sacrifice to remove the guilt we have incurred because of our sins so that we may have eternal life. This was the expression of God's love. And on this basis, John is saying, God is love. Let me repeat that. God sent Jesus Christ to be the atoning sacrifice to remove the guilt we have incurred because of our sins so that we may have eternal life. This was the expression of God's love. This is how God defines love for us. And this is the basis for the beloved disciple to say, God is love. So when John says God is love, what does it mean? That God sent Jesus Christ so that he could die for you and for me. Why? So that you and I could have eternal life. Now, that understanding leads John to the conclusion. What is the conclusion? God is love. So, what do we see in verses 9 and 10? We know what God, we know what love is. Why? Because God has defined love for us. Love is an event in which God spoke for himself in human history by his son. Point number one, love is an event. An event where, Jesus, where God sent his son so that he could die for you and me. And in believing in him, you and I can have eternal life. It's an event. It is something which he did. Love for John is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Love is the person of Jesus Christ alongside you and me. Because what did he say? I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send someone. 
And who is that someone, the Holy Spirit, who talks to us, who, who gives us the hope because he, the Holy Spirit, brings to us the Christ who is not here today. And he walks, that is love, Jesus Christ walking alongside us, strengthening us, giving us the needed power, the strength, the comfort, the encouragement to live life as a Christian. That is love. God's action defines what authentic love is. This is the real essence of love. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully. Real love is not defined by our love for God, but how is it defined? Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. Who is defining this love? You and I have no excuse as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus to say, this is what love for me is. If you are in that illusion, you know, it's better today under the light of God's word to shake yourself of that illusion and get to reality. Because God says, I am going to define what love is and you, whether you like it or not, you can accept it or you can reject it. You don't have a third choice of saying, I am going to define how love is going to be. Because God has defined, it's not because we loved him, but because he loved us first. He showed to us what love is. He is the God who defines what love is for us. Our choice is to say, by your grace, can I live out that love which you have defined for us? You see the difference? We are in the habit of most of the time what we do is, we define what love should look like. No, there is no room for that. If you are a follower of Christ, there is no room for that. You and I have not been given the authority to define what love is. God has defined what love is. And what is it? Love is dying to self and living for the other. Is dying to self and living for the other. We only have to look at the cross, right? It is so interesting. We don't have to look very far. If you are ever in doubt what love is, you just have to look at the cross. That's why we come every Sunday morning to break bread, I hope, to remind ourselves of the great love that God had for us, and in so remembering, that it will translate into our lives so that we will stop defining what love is and we will learn to humbly submit ourselves to this God and say, will you grant me the grace to be the loving person that I have come to remember this morning? Otherwise, our remembrance is a mere ritual. It has nothing to do with the God of who is described by John as he is love. It, has, it is just something to appease our conscience because we will not feel nice by evening of a Sunday if we have been going to church and breaking bread for, let's say, 10 or 15 or 20 years of our lives. It's all about us. It has nothing to do with the person whom we come to remember. 
we define love every time we say, oh, this person, well, I will deal with this person this far and no further. With this person, I can be a bit more free. With this person, I'm going to be like this. With that person, I'm going to be like that. This person has hurt me. This person is lousy. That person, oh, he's a brother or she's a sister. I have heard Jason say that we are all going to be Christ-like. So I have to accommodate them and live with that. No, no. You cannot define love in any other way if you are a Christian other than the way that God in Christ has defined it for us. And that is going the extra mile, willing to be exploited. If someone asks you for the coat, give your cloak too. If someone asks you to come one mile, go the extra mile. If you give out money, don't even think of asking, you know, trying to get it back. If you're willing to be, if you're not willing to be exploited for the sake of Christ. You know, the standards of God. That is why among our circles, some people say, you know, uh, some parts of Matthew's gospel is not written really for us. It is written for the Jews. So we can, you know, when we love to allegorize things, when Jesus says, you know, if your eye offends you, take it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to enter heaven with one eye and with one arm. And we love to underplay it. You know, why, why do we do that? Because we can live the way we want to live. Because Jesus is very serious when he said that. And not to say that, pluck out your eyes or pluck. But he is saying, you better be serious about your walk with me. Don't try to play around with my word. If you and I cannot love as God wants us to love, our response should be, God, will you give me the grace to be what you're asking me to be? Because in my own strength I fail. I cannot do it. That is the response. Rather than creating things which are convenient for us. Because God has defined what love is. But it has been this definition John gives for a very practical reason. Verse 11. Since God loved us so much, so much, in the face of such love, we have no choice but to stand in awe and wonder at a love so selfless and self-giving that one can do nothing else but show love to one another. In the face of such love, we have no choice but to stand in awe and wonder at a love so selfish and self-giving that one can do nothing else but show love to one another. God's love for us must cause us to love one another. And let me tell you, if you and I choose to love the way Jesus loved, I'll guarantee you one thing, that you're going to be heartbroken, you're going to be disappointed, you're going to be exploited. You're going to be abused. All of those worst things are going to happen to you if you love as Jesus did. But you know, there is a place where you don't have to love anyone. And you know which, what's the place called? The place is called hell. There you don't have to love anyone. 
because that is what we create for ourselves when we stop loving the other. Go home and think about it. When we stop loving the other because we are scared to be hurt, where we are scared to be offended, where we are scared to be exploited, where we are scared to, you know, we close ourselves, close ourselves, close ourselves, close ourselves, and finally, suddenly you'll find one day you have been building a wall so strong that you cannot break yourself free from those bondages, and suddenly you find yourself suffocating, and finally death takes over. What a way to live. And that is exactly what we are seeing in our world today. People have been building walls, building walls, stronger walls to protect themselves. Protecting and protecting and protecting. You know, they've come to a point where they cannot live anymore. And so now they say, give us the right to die. We just want to die. How can you live without love? Just on a lighter note, there was this young man who came to his father at breakfast one morning and said, Dad, I'm going to get married. How do you know you're ready to get married? Asked this wise father. Are you in love? And the son said, I sure am, said the son. How do you know you're in love? Asked the father. And this is the explanation that the guy gave. Very interesting. Last night, as I was kissing my girlfriend goodnight, her dog bit me. But I didn't feel the pain until I got home. Love is not only self-sacrifice or doing things for the benefit of others, but it means forgiving the sins of the beloved and remembering them no more. You know why? That is what God did for us. He pardoned our sins against himself. Our sins against himself. At whose cost? At whose cost? At his own cost. He pardoned our sins against whom? Against God. At whose cost? At his own But there is something more. Why John has taken so much pain to tell us what love is. There is something more. Verse 12, it says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. You know, when I look at that passage and being faithful to that passage, he says, you know what the author or John is not really interested. Let me rephrase it. John is, that is not his main purpose. He wants us to love. But there is a greater purpose in why he's defining what love is for us and how we ought to live. You know what it is? Interestingly, the author is not interested in the obligation to love for its own sake, but because it is a sign that God lives in us. 
and that is something which sets us apart from the false prophets or the false believers who were troubling the church. That is his main focus. The main focus is not necessarily the obligation to love, which we ought to, but his main concern is, this is the evidence that you dwell in God, that you belong to God. This is the evidence of the fact that you have been born of God. The unseen God becomes visible in Christ. Likewise, love brings the unseen God to concrete expression in the everyday life of the Christian who loves. And I'm going to make a statement which I really love. It's only six, seven words. God is unseen. God is unseen, but God is not unfelt. God is unseen, but God is not unfelt. Now, he is, we don't see him with our eyes. But how do we sense his presence? How do we feel him? How do we sense him in our lives? Through his word and when we experience his love. And the way we experience his love is the love that is expressed in the community of God's people. Do you and I experience God's love in this community? Do you experience the love of God in your life? Is God unfelt in your life? Do you sense His love the overwhelming love which wants to take you in his arms and hold you close to his heart. Do you sense that? Do you feel that? If you have been born of God and if you abide in him, actually John is saying continue to abide in him, what happens? You will experience that. God is unseen but he is not unfelt. That's the joy of a Christian. I sense his love all the time. Even when I walk away from him, the one thing which brings me back to him is his love. And the more I experience his love, I somehow feel how unworthy I am in the face of such a great love. How far I fall short. And my prayer is, one of these days, I will hear the word, yes, Jason, true and faithful servant, come into my rest. Believers who love one another demonstrate that the unseen God lives in them. And his love is made complete in us. The circle of God's love is completed when we love one another. And it goes on to talk of a lot of things. But let me close. As usual, time is against us. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his or her brother or sister, he or she is a liar. For anyone who does not love 
her or his brother or sister whom he or she has seen cannot love God whom he or she has not seen. <laughs> you know, what basically what John is doing is he's taking us from a lesser argument to a higher argument. He is saying what you can see if you can't love them, if you can't live with them in peace and harmony. What are you talking about your love from God? You are a liar. Let me read this story to you. Means it's a write-up. Let me read it to you. But before that, the nature of the true experience of God is such that it cannot exist without manifesting itself in love for God's people. <clears throat> the very nature of God's love demands that it includes others as well as God. Let me read it. There is a natural, logical kind of loving that loves lovely things and lovely people. It's so easy to love me, right? Good, nice, you know, I, I was thinking, I'm wearing such a nice shirt. People came and told me it's such a nice shirt. You know why I do that sometimes? To hide my ugliness inside. You know, I hope, you know, we are not putting on nice clothes so that we can hide what we really are inside. Huh? So, who knows, right? So, you know, I'm very lovable. You'll come up to me and say, Jason, you're all very nice. I love you, man. Don't worry. God loves you. You be cheered, be encouraged. Don't come and do that to me. Because you don't know me. Get to know me first before you do that. That's a very logical, lovely people, lovely things. It's so easy to love. It's very logical. It's normal. It's natural. But there's another kind of love. But there's another kind of loving that does not look for value in what it loves, but that creates value in what it, what is, what it loves. See, there's a difference, you know. You know, you can love lovely people, lovely things. It's all great and good. Who doesn't offend you? You know, we have been going through Fridays and all of these things. You know, if you have been there, good for you. If you haven't been there, you have not missed much. Okay? But at the end of the day, what I want to say is, you know, loving friends is so much easy. But loving someone who is maimed and, you know, who, who doesn't seem to be, you know, someone who brings us comfort, it's very difficult. But there is that kind of love because we love that, there is a certain value to it. We create the value in loving it. You know, there are certain souvenirs which has no value for anyone else. But it has great value for us because it is so dear to us. Maybe it talks to us something about someone whom we loved. We hold on, you know. Some, you know, my wife has some letters that I've written to her. She holds on. She cherishes it. She loves it. You know, it has no value for anyone else. But that, that is the kind of love I'm talking. A love which creates value for the thing it loves. Like Rosemary's Ragdoll. Okay. 
Now, this writer, Ian Pitt, has a youngest child called Rosemary. Uh, she was the youngest child and was three when she was given a little rag doll. You know what's a rag doll, right? Judy will know it. And uh, because she had something like that. Which quickly became an insuperable companion. She had other toys that were intrinsically far more valuable. But none that she loved like she loved the rag doll. Soon the rag doll became more and more rag and less and less doll. It also became more and more dirty. And if you tried to clean the rag doll, it became more ragged still. And if you didn't try to clean the rag doll, it became dirtier still. The sensible thing to do was to trash the rag doll. But that was unthinkable for anyone who loved my child. If you loved Rosemary, you loved the rag doll. It was part of the package. If anyone says, I love God, I want you to listen to this. Yet hates his brother or sister, he or she is a liar. Love me, love my rag dolls, says God. Including the one you see when you look in the mirror. That is, this is the first and greatest commandment. If anyone says I love God yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Love me, love my rag dolls, says God, including the one you see when you look in the mirror. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Father God, I want to thank you for this afternoon and thank you for your word. Thank you because you have been so good, so kind, and above all, so loving that you should still choose people like me to share your word and people like this community, Lord, with all our frailty, with all our limitedness, with all our shortcomings, that you should still love us and continue to speak to us. Lord, we are indeed grateful for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful because you have loved us with such a great love. We are thankful that you have not only rescued us from the slave market of sin and set us free. You have not only defined love for us and what it means to be a Christian, but you have given us a place, a community, where we can practice what love is. And we thank you for that. We thank you for one another. And Lord, may we ever keep hearing that. Words, Lord, love me and love my ragdolls. Oh God, we are a motley crew, Lord, whom you have brought together from different walks of life so that you may show your love and that you may teach us how to be like your son. So we pray, Lord, that as a community of your people, that we will live for you. That we will not make excuses, 
that we will not shield ourselves from hurt and being exploited, even to the point of being abused, but that we, in your grace, in the strength and in the encouragement and comfort that you give us, that we will be bold enough to venture out and be the loving person that you have showed yourself to be in your son. So that we may truly become a community, holding each other gently, holding each other in love, holding each other with encouragement and comfort, which we have received from you, so that this may be a community grown not in our strength, but in the strength that you give us. That this may be a community, not something it can boast of itself, but which finds its affirmation in the fact that God loves us and that God will see us through. Lord, I pray for this community that in the coming days that we will be a people who will love you so much that we'll forget ourselves, that we'll be caught up with your things, that we'll forget the things, O oh Lord, which tie us down, so that it will be more about you each passing day, so that the day when we see you, we will truly be, we will truly be, truly be what you want us to be. We know, Lord, that the work that you have started in us, you will see it to completion. We acknowledge and confess this morning, Lord, that the only thing that we need in our life is your Son, and the only hope that we have is you, and the only life that we share, the only true life that we share with each other is the life that you have so graciously given to us, your very life. And we know, Lord, all of this is possible because of your son, of his work on that cross and of his work that continues even today, and of the promise that you will see us to that day when you will come, us, come to take us to be with you. We thank you for all of these good things. Thank you, Lord, even for reminding us that in you we have become overcomers. We have overcome the world. And as overcomers, Lord, we need not be slaves to our own selves again, but in your power, we can rise up with strength. We can rise up as eagles. O oh Lord, soaring to the heights that you're calling us to, declaring to a dying and sad world that there is hope, joy, and comfort. And above all, eternal life for those who will come in faith to your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray this afternoon, Lord, that you will send us with your blessing. You will send us with your peace, that you will send us with your joy, and that we will be able to gather together this evening in our dear brother's home, which you have so graciously granted to him, that we will join with him in celebrating the goodness of the Lord and enjoying the good provisions that God has given him and being part of it for your glory. And in so doing, once again, we will be able to tell the world that we are Christians through our love.
for we ask and offer it in Christ's most precious and beloved name. Amen.